Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. On the opening day of the 2019 Utah Legislature, we're at the State Capitol in Salt Lake City. And on the program today, we're going to be speaking with Utah Governor Gary Herbert. We'll also be speaking with Senate Majority Leader Evan Vickers, Senate Minority Leader Karen Maine, House Speaker Brad Wilson, House Minority Leader Brian King, and we'll be discussing uh, propositions approved by the voters last year on medical marijuana, Medicaid expansion, and redistricting. We'll also talk about air quality, education, the budget, taxes, and much more. And you can drive the agenda here as well with your question or comment. You can get those to us at upraccess at gmail.com, upraccess at gmail.com. And uh, we are waiting for the governor to uh, join us momentarily. In the meantime, let's uh, hear from uh, Bill Tibbetts from uh, Crossroads Urban Center talking about one of the hot topics at the legislature this year. I think that our legislative priority, our, our top priority, and, and the thing is going to take precedence over anything else, is ensuring that, that the legislature doesn't um, repeal Proposition 3, the Medicaid expansion that voters approved in November, or delay the implementation. Um, every day in our food pantry we see people who have had to choose between paying for health care and buying food. And, um, you know, some of those people have unmet health care needs and are waiting for the expansion to begin on April 1st. And so uh, since we see that every day, we just feel that it would be a tragedy if people who've been waiting sometimes, in some cases, for years to get to have a, a consistent and stable way to pay for their basic health care needs for that to have... Um, that snatched away. I mean, uh, Proposition 3 is supposed to begin on April 1st. I think there are people who are now counting down the days. So uh, we, our priority is making sure that the benefits begin on April 1st as scheduled. Uh, could you tell me a little bit about um, uh, how these things are all connected? Uh, health insurance, some people might say, well, that's separate from other parts of people's lives. Is for the people that you serve, I guess it's uh, there's a lot of interconnections here, and health insurance would would help in other areas if they could get. I it. think that if you're a person with a chronic health condition, it impacts every part of your life. If you have diabetes and you don't have a way to consistently pay for insulin, you're going to have troubles. If you've got a mental health problem and you don't have a way to pay for your meds every month, then you're going to have problems. If you have um, I mean, I could, if, <laughs> I, I, everybody knows somebody with a chronic health problem. And unfortunately, a lot of the times, uh, unmanaged chronic problems like that can reduce people's ability to, to earn enough money um, to be eligible for other types of, of health care plans. And so... For the people we see in our food pantry, the people who, you know, are, are scraping by on, on less than $20,000 a year uh, for them and their families, I mean, I, I think that for them, if they don't have a way to pay for the health care that they need, uh, there's going to, it's going to have a negative impact on their families. They're going to, that's why they come to our food pantry for help with food. That's why some of those families can end up being homeless for a short period of time. Um, you know, it's health care is so expensive. If you don't have uh, 
the income to qualify for, you know, a lot of money on, a, you know, big credit cards to help you bridge short-term gaps. I mean, you, you can't, you don't have a way to pay for really basic care. And the, the consequences for people can just be devastating. That is Bill Tibbetts with Crossroads Urban Center in Salt Lake City talking about um, Medicaid expansion, Prop 3. Um, and we do welcome in now uh, Governor Gary Herbert. Thank you. Good morning. Great to be here Appreciate with you, you as always. Uh, uh, continuing this tradition, opening day of legislature, we usually have you on. Thank you. Thanks Appreciate for it. having me on, and I'm looking forward to answer any questions you might have as long as they're easy. Okay. All right. We'll try to make them easy. Um, so we just heard from Bill Tibbetts there. Uh, this is a, there'll be a rally uh, about Medicaid expansion uh, here on the, in the Capitol uh, later today. I'm sure this will be on the minds of the legislature. What's, uh, what's your view, Governor? Well, I don't know what the rally is about. Nobody invited me to come. Yeah. But I do know that we have an initiative uh, so-called Medicaid expansion, which uh, allows us to, in fact, uh, respond to the will of the people. Uh, I think that we will in fact see the legislature embrace that and Im impose a Medicaid expansion program. I understand there are concerns about the fiscal stability of this in the long term. And so even though there's a tax increase attached with the initiative, in about the third year it turns upside down. So there are some concerns, legitimate concerns, about the implementation in its current form and what do we do not just in the short term but in the long term because I don't think any of us want to be in a situation of having to raise taxes again or to start taking money away from other programs, whether it be public safety, transportation, other health and human services, education, et cetera, but the money will have to come from somewhere. So I believe working together we'll come up with a, with a, a position on this that will allow us to sustain it over the long term, and that's what we want to have. Do you, uh, do, you for, uh, do you support the full expansion? I think it should go from 0 to 138%, mm -hmm. yeah. and I think we can do that. I think we can do it in a fiscally prudent way, and uh, really we already have the ability for people to get into the federal exchange over 100% up to 138%. Uh, we're trying to fill the hole in the 0 to 100%, the gap that we have there, and we can do that also. And I think there's two or three different things that can be done uh, that we'll be working with the executive branch and our Department of Health and our uh, Medicaid experts there along with the legislature and their fiscal analysts and the legislators themselves. And we'll come up with something I think will be acceptable to everybody. I'm very optimistic about this. Mm -hmm. uh, I want to talk about your budget. Um, you're, you're putting the, you know, the vast majority of it to uh, education, K-12 through education, right? It's always been my number one budget mm -hmm. priority, and I think it really is the legislature's too. Uh, we put nearly three out of every four new dollars into education. It's our seed corn, it's our future, and so if we're going to continue to have long-term economic success, and that's been our number one focus since I've come in as governor, uh, we need to have a labor force that aligns their skill levels with the demands of the marketplace, not only here in Utah and across America, but in a, a global nature now. The economy is global in nature, and so we need to have labor forces that, in fact, have skills aligned with that demand. So education is a top priority. Uh, we will continue to do what we can to make public education excel. As we set a goal to become the best performing economic engine in America today, 
We want to still have our goal to become the best performing education system in America today. And the good news is, with the help of the legislature and stakeholders, parents, teachers, uh, you know, school board members, all that combined working together in concert, we now have moved our graduation rates up 11% since I took office. Our minority scores are up. Our advanced placement courses were fifth in the nation. Uh, ACT test scores are up. Uh, and we have uh, really now, uh, based on the NAEP test, which is comparable scores between us and other states, we're in the top 10 in, in uh, reading language arts, math, and science. So we've made some significant progress. It's not all about the money. It's some about the money. But the more important thing is, are we making good, positive outcomes? And the answer is yes, absolutely. You have, uh, in your budget, you're allocating $100 million for uh, air quality improvements? Yeah, it's kind of a moonshot. It's, uh, we've been doing some good things in the past decade. We've reduced pollution, for example, along the Wasatch Front by nearly 35%. And that's in the face of having 300,000 more people call the Wasatch Front their home. So we've reduced pollution uh, significantly, uh, but we still have much to do. Uh, we'll be bringing in Tier 3 fuels, which is going to help us, uh, like taking four out of every five cars off the road. Uh, we have other things we can do. I'll announce some of these things in my State of the State address uh, this coming Wednesday, so I don't want to scoop myself here today as much as you'd right. like me to. Oh, I, I would like you to, yes. But but we will. I just uh, stop you there. We'll be carrying that uh, on UPR. Well, that would so, be great. Yeah. So we'll have an opportunity to have more details and, and a little more specifics then. But uh, suffice it to say, $100 million directed uh, strictly to trying to clean up air, make the air quality better, make sure we meet all the federal requirements and standards, which we will do, and uh, things that we can't all do collectively. There's not any silver bullet out there to fix the problem. It's going to be a collective effort by industry, business, uh, we as homeowners, automobiles, uh, mass transit, all those things working together, which will help us reduce pollution in a significant way. Uh, you've talked about uh, sales tax and maybe some reforms there, including uh, perhaps taxing uh, more services. Yeah, tax reform, or I call it tax modernization, to more, I think, accurately reflect what needs to be done. Uh, the marketplace has changed dramatically over the last 20 years. This was kind of a warning shot that we had here 10 years ago, maybe 15 years ago, when Governor Olin Walker, in fact, was the governor, that the marketplace was shifting, and we need to make sure that our tax policy reflects that shift. Uh, for example, it used to be in, in the 80s, 70 percent of the marketplace was taxed, and we had a sales tax. And we had a sales tax that came from that part of our gross domestic product. Today, it's closer to 40 percent and shrinking. So the base is shrinking, which puts pressure on us to take money from other areas or raise taxes. So now's the time. We don't want to wait till we're in a crisis mode. Let's take a look at it now and see if we can't make some modifications. And really under the heading of let's broaden the base, and then we can lower the rate. And if we do this correctly, everybody will have basically a tax cut. We'll all be paying less taxes overall, and everybody will be paying their fair share at the same time. So it brings stability, it brings equity, it aligns better with the marketplace going forward, and it will allow us to continue to pay for those core services that government's involved with that comes out of our general fund, which is really funded mostly by sales tax. Uh, question number one on the ballot failed. Um, I, I, uh, would there be any movement in the legislature? Would you suggest taken gas tax, right? 
Yeah, question number it, one. Question number one, I, yeah, and question, applied it to schools. Yeah, it was, and really the sales tax, or excuse me, the, the user tax for roads for construction, uh, increased capacity for maintenance of our roads. Really, the bulk of that should come from those who use the roads. We all kind of believe in user fees, and that's the, the gasoline tax. The gasoline tax, unfortunately, has not kept up with the cost. It has not kept up with the cost of inflation, the rising costs there. So where it used to be 60% user fee and 40% uh, in the general fund, it's now reversed that only 40% coming from those who use the roads and 60% coming from the general fund. That's probably reversed. That's backwards of what it should be. So we ought to probably take a look at that, too, as part of our tax overall uh, overhaul. But uh, we'll see what happens there. But it was a, a, a complicated question. It was, I don't think, very well understood. Interestingly enough, the latest polling shows that if we have the surplus money, where would you want it to be spent? The overwhelming number one issue where the surpluses should be spent, they say, the public people of Utah, is in the education. Mm. Uh, Prop 2, Medicaid, um, or not Medicaid, uh, marijuana, uh, medical marijuana, uh, that was uh, ahead of that vote. There was a, a compromise. Yeah. Um, uh, announced I, I, with the legislature. Do you support that? Absolutely. In fact, I was the first one, I think, way back last March, uh, at the end of March, to say I didn't like the initiative. I understood the need to see if we could find medical cannabis as a way to alleviate pain and suffering for those who need it and find some relief there. I'm disappointed we don't have the science to back up all the anecdotal stories, and I'm very disappointed that those in Washington, D.C. didn't take this off the Schedule One list, you know, the past administration, and even before that, and say, why don't we study the, the effects of medical cannabis in our lives and see if it works, do the clinical studies to see if we can get FDA approval and allow this to be used as a medicine prescribed by doctors, like we do every other medic medicine. So it's, uh, there's a lot of disappointment, I think, for everybody uh, as we look back in history. That being said, um, I think we've been able to work a compromise between the advocates and those who are in, in opposition to put safeguards in place for distribution to make sure we're not morphing into recreational marijuana, which everybody says they don't want. Now, whether they do in their heart of hearts or not, I guess I don't know. But at least verbally, people are saying we don't want recreational marijuana. So the safeguards put in place, the compromise of advocates and opposition that we've come up with is a good one. And it's one that I expect that we'll, uh, we have in place now with the special session. Uh, we'll have opportunities in this session if anybody wants to come and say, well, you need to tweak it here or tweak it there, make some changes or here's some concerns. They'll have an opportunity to address that. And I expect, as the proponents had said in the very beginning, this might be uh, something that will be morphed and changed and modified over the next couple of years until we get it right. I want to ask you about the federal uh, partial federal government shutdown. Uh, that had effects, of course, in Utah. The state government kicked in some money to uh, help uh, maintenance with the national parks. Private groups uh, jumped in as well. This is the longest federal government shutdown in history, with maybe more to come in three weeks. Yeah. It's disappointing. It's emblematic of the dysfunction in, in Washington, D.C. Um, they can't even agree on what day of the week it is, I don't think. It's that bad. And it's so hyper-partisan, and people are so absolutely have to be pure. There's no compromise. There's no ability to work together and get things done. And uh, the federal government shutdown is an example of this. Uh, and disappointing to all Americans, and I think uh, blame uh, enough to go around for both sides of the aisle. Mm. 
that being said, uh, you know, Utah is just the opposite of that. We work together. We'll have probably over a, th a thousand bills introduced if history is any prologue to what this legislative session will be. And legislators will roll up their sleeves and get to work on those things. They'll pass over 500 and probably 85% of them will pass unanimously. So the ability to work together in spite of differences and, and find compromise and find the common good for the people of Utah is alive and well in Utah. And Washington, D.C. could take a page out of Utah's book and do it more the Utah way. So this hour, uh, what's top of mind to your constituents? What are you, what are you hearing? What are they, what are they saying? What, uh, I guess, what you're receiving anyway? Well, I think the constituents like what we're doing. They like the trend. Uh, we're not perfect, but I think we're going in the right direction. Uh, we're improving uh, our educational system, as I mentioned. We are now in top ten state, which is remarkable. We've put uh, significant amounts of additional monies into education. Uh, we have good parents, teachers, good parents, teachers, instructors, uh, you know, all working together to have a great educational experience. And we now have changed the the, uh, the culture, I think, when it comes to education. And we also are preparing our students. That's just not public education; it's it's post high school. So we set a goal here a few years ago to have 66 by 2020, meaning that two-thirds of our adult population and our students were going on to college, whether that be community college, whether that be technical college, university studies. Now virtually when I get around to all the public uh, education, uh, private schools, charter schools, and say how many of you are going on to college, every hand goes up. That's good news. That puts a, some, a significant challenge on us as far as our funding and the cost because it's uh, not all about the money, but it's some about the money. So I think we've done really great things in education. That seems to be the number one focus right now. It used to be economics. used to be job creation. But because we're doing so well, it's probably one of the best, most uh, diverse performing economies in America today. That's not top of mind. That's probably number two, education number one. Uh, uh, job growth creation economics number two. We need to continue to focus on that, by the way. That's not something you just set it and forget it. It's an ongoing quest. Uh, third, you know, I think there's a lot of concern about the environment. You've mentioned air quality, and I think we're going to address that in some significant ways this legislative session. Uh, we've done some good things. We are going to need to do some more good things going forward. So those are the three top issues, I think, out there. Uh, a lot of uh, corollary issues out there. Uh, really how you spend the $19 billion budget, which is the legislator's number one responsibility. How we prioritize there is extremely important. And, again, we've put our baseline out there, recommendations as we're required. As we're required by the Constitution. It gives the legislature a good mark to start from. Uh, we've spent about four months on deciding how to cut up the pie and what's the best way to prioritize the money. I think the legislature will find that it's pretty good, accurate, and, and I think we'll find ourselves to be much in alignment on how we create our budget. Well, that's uh, Governor Gary Herbert, uh, Governor of the State of Utah, who has joined us. Thank you, Governor, so much. Thank you. Great to be with you, and we start on day one of 45. That's right, and we'll have the Governor's State of the State address on UPR on Wednesday. Wednesday, thank you. Thank you. We'll take a break. When we come back, we will uh, have leaders in the uh, State Senate. We'll be talking with the uh, Senate Majority Leader Evan Vickers and uh, with uh, Senate Minority Leader uh, Karen Main, later House leaders, and we'll hear some from some more groups as well as the broadcast continues. Next time on Living on Earth, call to heal our communities by healing the land beneath them. Just like our own health needs to be constantly renewed and constantly restored, 
we need to treat our relationship to the land that way. I'm Steve Kerwood, and it's writer Gary Paul Navin, next time on Living on Earth from PRI. Wednesday morning at 10 on Utah Public Radio. What does Utah Public Radio mean to you? You can answer that question by entering the annual UPR Art Mug Contest. We want to see your most creative interpretations and appreciations of UPR, our programming, or our station's home here in Utah. From now until Valentine's Day, we'll be accepting submissions, and then you'll all get to vote on your favorite design. The winner will be printed on this year's Spring Pledge Drive Mug. For more details, go to upr.org, and to submit, just send your designs to me, katie.swain at usu.edu. The scientific world is supposed to be a place where ideas come together, but instead it's often a place full of really brilliant people who don't talk to each other. Utah Public Radio's newest show is designed to break down those barriers. So each week, we're going to introduce you to two scientists from vastly different fields of research, and then we're going to lock them in a room together and force them to talk about life. That's Undisciplined, Fridays at 2. Thanks for joining us for Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. We're broadcasting from the uh, state capitol on the opening day of the 2019 Utah legislature. We turn next to uh, leaders in the Senate. We bring in uh, Senator Evan Vickers, Republican from uh, Cedar City, I believe, uh, who is the uh, Senate Majority Leader. Thanks for joining us. No, thanks for, for having us here. It's enjoyable. It's exciting. The first day is always exciting. Yeah, yeah, it is. A lot of, lot of energy. Um, uh, Senator Karen Maine uh, is the Senate Minority Leader, uh, Democrat from uh, West Valley City. I appreciate it. Thanks for thanks, having us. Thanks for joining us. Uh, let's uh, start with you, uh, Senator Vickers. What's, what's your top priority going into the 2019 legislature? Well, as we look forward to uh, this session, there's you know obviously a lot of things that uh, are on the plate. The governor mentioned a number of things. For me personally, is that I've evaluated what the citizens are talking about and and polled my constituents. Education seems to rise to the very top. Uh, transportation and other infrastructure issues rise to the top, and then workforce. You're making sure that we have an adequate trained workforce to continue to allow the economy to expand and grow. Those are for me. Those are the three. Uh, Senator Maine, uh, same question to you. What are you hearing from constituents, and what's your top priority or priorities? I appreciate that. Um, the good senator spoke about three that's important for us. I think what we're going to be looking at is taxation. We're going, uh, we need to change the, w- the rate and how we, do, how we tax our citizens, and I think you're going to, we're looking at service taxation. How are you going to uh, tax services? That's going to be an uphill. Are we going to do that? How are we going to do that? Who's going to be involved in that? And I think we, that's going to be a serious conversation is, is taxation. The other thing, we have a lot of one-time money, and we're going to have to decide what we're going to do with that. As time goes on uh, in the next few years, we have uh, forecast that it might not be so good. Things aren't going to be as thriving they, as they need to be. So my concern is to make sure that that one-time money, we don't put it, if you put it into a project that we can see results, but watch what we do with programs. Programs need to be funded long-term. So we need to pick and choose to make sure we just don't give money one time and it's not, that money doesn't go to take care of the completion in the years to make sure it's fully funded if we're going to start those programs. Uh, I want to talk about uh, Medicaid expansion, Prop 3. I'll start with uh, with you, um, Senator Vickers. 
Uh, looks like a couple bills uh, being filed, Senate, uh, Senate Bill 96, Senator Christensen, Senate Bill 97, Senator Andereg. Uh Utah Health Policy Project Advocacy Group is describing both of these as full repeal. Do you, do you agree? No, I don't. Now, uh, the one I can talk to you with the most intelligence about is Senator Christensen's in the, in the approach. You know, we're looking at a, an approach that expands Medicaid to 138% and allows us to do it prudently in a way that we can afford it. And so I think the governor alluded to some of those facts and previously in his conversation, but no, it doesn't repeal it. It moves forward with the expansion of 138. It's a revision of what, what the proposition was, but we also have to look at how we can prudently pay for it, including the tax increase and other things. Uh, and the concern seems to be in two years. Right. When that's, the, that's the kicker. That's when you know the tax increase would, would yeah, kicks in and yeah. and makes it. We we want to. We've also discussed uh, as my previous role as vice chair of executive appropriation. We talked about putting together a Medicaid uh, fund, like a rainy day fund, Medicaid rainy day fund, so that we can build that up and maybe possibly even use some of that one time money to put in there to make sure that we have uh, coverage for gaps and that as the as the program expands and costs go up. Senator Maine, what's, uh, what's your view on, uh, on Prop 3? Well, as you know, uh, we saw what the voters did overwhelmingly. They understand that we need a healthy population. If we don't help healthy people, they can't work, they can't pay taxes, it starts from the health of, of, uh, of the community and of the citizens. And so it's backwards. We say, well, we need to work to get this privilege. Well, this is not a privilege. We need to make people well so they can go to work, so they can prosper, and they can pay taxes. So uh, we're, we are open to conversation because that's what we do in our caucus. And we're open to all those points of views, but we are 100% behind um, the voice of the people. And uh, Salt Lake County just came out with a, a proclamation, a resolution supporting that. And I think we need to make sure that whatever we do, they, they spoke and they said, you're not doing it. So we have to, the signatures prove that they want movement. So we're open to conversation, but we need to do something. People, these are not, these are people that have health issues that, that have come upon them. And uh, when you say, well, if you're sick enough or you're not sick enough or you're too sick enough, we don't do that. We have a healthy, prosperous, healthy society, or we will not prosper. Uh, Senator Vickers, um, um, the new Senate president, Senator Adams, um, he, he's described, at least in this story I'm reading, as a supporter of question one, which of course failed. Um, and uh, I wonder, from, from your view, uh, is, is there adequate funding for education in the governor's budget? Uh, should there, or do we need to look for more funding? One of the things we've done in the last four years, we put a lot of money, new money, into education. We put over a billion dollars in, in new funding into public education, and that, that pattern is not going to change. Uh, whether prop, uh, question one failed or passed, we were still planning to go forward with putting additional money into education. So we're going to, we recognize that that's a top priority with many of our citizens, and I know Senator Maine and I share the thought that we need to put as much money possible into education as we can. Mm -hmm. So we'll continue to do that. Senator Maine, uh, the same question on, on uh, education funding. Or do, you, do you support the, what the I, governor's I, allocated? I think um, uh, the question was on the ballot. I, I think it kind of it got mixed up because they, we had two in education and, and transportation. So people, you know, it's not clear 
usually the answer is no because where you know what we're going to do are we going to how much here and there so i i think that um maybe should have been clear or, or we would have done some work to make that more transparent for the for the citizens we have to educate especially in the younger grades um my senate district uh, the majority of the schools are title one and so we really, uh, I, I feel that urgency to make sure that, and, and we know that you know preschool, those important skills that are learned, just, just of uh, uh, responsibility and return, uh, routine, not routine, uh, routine of, of learning and, and reading books and all those things all go together. And, and the socialization too of those younger grades, that all those are good skills to learn. Um, as you go forward, because we need we need an educated population. We can't we cannot all these programs to to help people, but the issue is we need it to start so that they can help themselves with this kind of uh, uh, education in early age. Senator Vickerside, I know you need to get to a meeting at nine thirty. Correct. So we're we're about a minute away. So we'll 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 end this uh, segment. Um, Senator Vickers, the uh, Senate Majority Leader, and uh, Senator Maine, the Minority Leader in the Senate. Thank you. Appreciate Both your you time. So much. Thank Appreciate you. Thanks for having us. Uh, we'll take another break. When we come back, we'll have leaders from the House. Hi, I'm Steve Williams, host of Jazz Time here on Utah Public Radio. I hope you'll join me Sunday evenings for a journey through the world of jazz music, from ragtime to bop, from Havana to Logan, Utah. Tune in for a bit of history, commentary, the occasional interview, and of course, all that jazz. Jazz Time, Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock on Utah Public Radio. Are you looking for a way to make your nonprofit organization more visible to our statewide community? Utah Public Radio's community calendar highlights events across the state, including musical performances, festivals, live theater, art shows, dance, educational or guest lectures, workshops, volunteer opportunities, and more. We have a more user-friendly submission page. Just visit the UPR website at upr.org and click on the community calendar link. There, you can review the submission guidelines. This is Craig Jessup, Dean of the King College of the Arts at Utah State University. UPR is everywhere you are with classical music programming, news and information statewide through their 36 signals, worldwide on the web at upr.org and through the new online app. UPR is only a push of the button away. Thanks for joining us for Access Utah. If you just joined us, we are coming to you live from the state capitol in Salt Lake City. It's the opening day of the 2019 Utah Legislature, and we've uh, been talking with uh, Governor Gary Herbert. We just had in uh, leaders in the Senate, and now leaders in the House. And we are awaiting momentarily uh, House uh, Speaker Brad Wilson. We have with us House Minority Leader Brian King. Thanks for coming in. Thank you for having me. Uh, so I've been asking uh, our uh, leaders, um, so I'll, I'll just a uh, general question. What are you hearing from your constituents, and uh, what are your top priorities for the yeah. session? Well, I think the constituents are telling us a lot of different things. One of them is they're concerned that there will not be set aside in terms of the initiatives from last uh, election. We hear that a lot. Uh, we'll be watching carefully to make sure that we don't have undermining of those initiatives. 
at least if uh, we as Democrats have anything to say about it. We want to make sure that we maintain the vote that was taken and put in place for Medicaid expansion, that we maintain the vote that was taken and passed uh, on Proposition 4 for uh, redistricting and anti-gerrymandering to allow uh, voters to choose their elected officials rather than elected officials to choose their voters. Um, I think that's very important. So we'll be watching that carefully. One of the other things that we hear about frequently uh, is uh, air quality issues. We're hearing from a lot of folks uh, concerns, uh, and we've heard this for years, of course, but I think that the drumbeat is getting louder in terms of people saying, we want to make sure that our air quality is improved. Um, and the fact is, our air quality in our lifetimes has never been better than now. We've made great strides in improving our air quality. That's largely due to federal um, uh, fuel emission standards that we're cleaning up the stuff that comes out of our tailpipes. But there, at the same time we've increased, improved the quality of our air, we've also increased significantly our knowledge about what kind of health problems come from dirty air. And even with the air quality that we have now, improved as it is, it still does tremendous damage to our circulatory systems, to our respiratory systems, to our solid organs, and you know, more and more information is coming to light based on empirical evidence about those problems. And so we're going to continue to work on that here at the legislature too. That's Representative uh, Brian King, who's the minority leader in the uh, House. Uh, we've got word that uh, Representative Wilson, the speaker, uh, can't uh, make it today. So uh, Representative Last is uh, is with us. Thanks. We good like morning. Brad. We like Brad Last. Yeah, He's yeah. a good Thank guy. You. Thank you. <laughs> Coming from uh, Brian King, that means a lot. <laughs> that, that is so, some some comedy here, uh, comedy with. Uh, with, uh, with the representatives. Uh, so Representative Last, I've been asking uh, everybody, uh, what are you hearing from your constituents? What's, uh, what are your top priorities heading into 2019 legislative session? Well, you gotta remember where I live. I live in the very southwestern corner of the state and uh, it doesn't matter which session we're going into, public lands issues are the biggest issues for my constituents. So uh, as far as I know, there's not a lot going on with public lands uh, this session. I'm sure that my mind will change about that as we get into it because there mm. always seems to be something something going on. But, mm. uh, you know, a lot of big issues coming up this year. Uh, tax reform, I think we're going to take some of that on. Medicaid is a big issue, obviously. Uh, so public education funding, those are always things that are important to me. So um, we're really looking forward to getting going here. Let me follow up on public lands. Uh, I'm not sure. I haven't seen anything filed yet. It seems quiet right now, but as you say, it could heat up. Um, what are you hearing from constituents uh, now that the dust has settled over uh, Bears Ears, yeah. for example? Well, again, my constituents in Washington County uh, and Iron County, they're concerned about access to public lands for multiple use. Uh, also, we always have uh, issues down there, especially in Iron County with uh, the, uh, the, the wild horses and some of those kinds of things. Prairie dogs, that's always a big deal in, in Iron County. And again, we've made a lot of progress in, in some of those respects, but uh, really we just are surrounded by so much public land down there in Washington County that we want to make sure that we, we have access to the land to, mm -hmm. to use it and to enjoy it. Representative King, I want to follow up on public lands with, with you. Yeah. Are you hearing on, about public lands from your constituents? Oh, sure. Uh, I represent a part of Summit County, and Summit County has uh, huge uh, concerns about public lands and making sure that the accessibility issue that Representative Last talks about is preserved. One of the things that um, we talk about accessibility to public lands, and I think the left and the right on the political spectrum sort of have different things in mind. 
the right has uh, in mind, let's not set aside public lands in a way that restricts multiple use for such things as grazing and uh, timber use and mining, extractive industries, things like that. And the left says, let's make sure that our public lands are made available for access and not sold off or leased off to extractive industries or other private uses that restrict our ability to access them in that way. So uh, accessibility to public lands runs across the political spectrum. And here in Utah, we want to make sure that we have the kind of access to our public lands and preservation and enhancement of the public lands to make sure that we preserve them for our children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren down through the generations. So um, that ties really well into the clean water, clean air, environmental issues. Mm -hmm. I think that as time goes on, it's going to become more and more important to Utahns to make sure that we preserve our, and enhance our environment. And I personally think that there is a way of doing that that results not just in uh, a win situation for environmental concerns, but a win situation for economic development. In other words, that you can develop things like renewable energy, solar, wind, geothermal, things like that in a way that results in great economic development opportunities for rural Utah, great energy development uh, potential, as well as helping the environment. So we just have to be creative and we have to be willing to maybe set aside some of the things that past generations have relied on, like some of these extractive <coughs> industries that... Uh, particularly for coal, I think it's a hard thing for folks in Carbon and Emory County here, but the reality is it's hard for me to see coal coming back and maintaining or even uh, much less presenting the same position that it had in the past in the future. I think that's we're passing that by for a variety of reasons. Mm. Uh, I want to uh, jump into Medicaid expansion, starting with Representative Last. Uh, there's a, a rally happening later today. Uh, proponents of uh, Prop 3 are expressing worry that uh, Republicans in the, in the House and Senate might make it, to their view, the proponents' view, uh, un unacceptable modifications to, uh, to, to Prop 3. What's, what are you hearing? What's likely to happen, do you think? Well, first of all, <clears throat> let me say that we understand that the citizens of Utah want, want to have coverage for this group of people that does not currently have coverage. And uh, e even the Republicans in the House who have some concerns about this recognize that that's, that's the message that we got. But the one thing that we're not going to do, at least in, in my way of thinking, is we're not going to break the bank. I mean, we have a balanced budget requirement in the state of Utah. Every state does. So we don't have the luxury of, of uh, providing a benefit without figuring out a way to, to pay for it. So we really do feel like we have a responsibility to the state, not only these people who need coverage, but also to the taxpayers of the state to make sure that we don't do something that we simply can't afford. So I think what you're going to see from our side anyway is an effort to make sure that these people have coverage, but make sure that we do it in a responsible way so that we don't run into budget problems down the road. Representative King, what, uh, what can you say to your colleagues across the aisle to uh, reassure them on the, on the budget side of this? Well, uh, our fiscal analyst has said that what was put in place in the November vote is sufficient to fund Medicaid expansion for the first year or two, and there are questions and concerns, legitimate concerns, about whether that funding source will be sufficient for the years after that. I don't have a problem looking at that. I think that we probably ought to take a year or two and see whether those cost estimates pan out. Uh, we'll have time in the 2020 or 2021 session to address those things if we need to. 
Here's what we're most concerned about. If you put in a work requirement, if you cap or limit enrollment to something less than full Medicaid expansion, if you reduce the uh, income limit from 138% of the federal poverty limit down to 100%, every one of those things, along with other uh, revisions that could be made, will delay implementation of Medicaid expansion for at least a year because you're going to have to go back to the federal government and get a waiver. And the federal government has not shown that they're very quick or inclined to grant waivers for those things. So we've been talking about this for five or six years now, and we've left hundreds of millions of dollars on the table each and every year. These are, that's money that Utah taxpayers have paid in the past, and we want to bring back to Utah. And, of course, there's the more fundamental issue of making sure that people who are in the greatest need of it get access to affordable health care. So... Uh, our feeling is we really will resist strongly and oppose any efforts uh, by our colleagues to uh, do anything that could delay implementation of Medicaid expansion. It needs to happen immediately, as the voters of the state of Utah have uh, indicated they want. That was what we had in the vote that uh, occurred in November. So uh, that's what we'll be looking for, and we'll be fighting hard to preserve that. I'll start with this uh, with the representative last as well. Uh, Prop two, um, medical marijuana. There was uh, even before the vote happened, there was announced a compromise between the supporters of Prop two, and uh, and members of the legislature. Um, is that the forum that's likely to pass? Well, as far as I'm concerned, uh, we're done with medical marijuana for a while. Uh, we did have an agreement that we passed in the special session, and I uh, I think that there was agreement among the parties who were involved in in the proposition getting the signatures for the proposition and and other supporters of the proposition um, there again uh, the voters said they wanted medical marijuana and we got that message but at the same time we felt like we needed to put an appropriate fence around marijuana so that it didn't turn into essentially recreational use so uh, I've been in some conversations with members of leadership, and I think our preference right now is to not deal with it again. Uh, that was kind of the agreement as they were working on this compromise or agreement, I, I would uh, rather call it, that we would, we, we would let it rest and see how this works out. We've got a lot of implementation issues that we're working on over the next year or so. And so that's really what we'd like to do is, is uh, not mess around with it, if you will because I think we have a pretty good agreement in place now. And, and there may be a few bills uh, coming up. I'm not familiar with them, uh, if there are. But uh, I think the general agreement among leadership is let's, let's leave this alone for a while. Mm -hmm. uh, Representative King had to, had to go. We thank Representative King. I'm not sure what your time situation is, Representative Last. Uh, I need to go as well. I okay. was supposed to be somewhere at 940. So. <laughs> All right. Very good. Uh, Representative Brad Last, thank you so much for, for coming in. Thank you. Appreciate it's it. It's a pleasure to be with you. We appreciate uh, everyone who has uh, been with us uh, today on the broadcast. Uh, Go Governor Gary Herbert has been with us. Uh, we had uh, Senate leaders, Senator Vickers, the majority leader, and Senator Maine, the minority leader. And uh, filling in for House Speaker Brad uh, Wilson was Representative Brad Last. And we heard from House Minority Leader Brian King. Uh, we'd love your questions and comments, your comments, I guess, at this point. Uh, UPRaccess at gmail.com, upraccess at gmail.com. We'll be uh, covering these issues, of course, uh, throughout the uh, course of the legislative session on Access Utah, on uh, UPR News as well.
we uh, uh, are, we'll go next uh, to uh, some interviews with various groups. Just open-ended questions. What's top of your mind? We heard at the top of the broadcast from Bill Tibbetts from Crossroads Urban Center. Top of his mind is Medicaid expansion, and from his point of view, preserving uh, Prop 3 as is. Uh, let's hear uh, a point of view from uh, Stacy Stanford now on Medicaid expansion, expressing some similar uh, sentiments. Uh, so here's uh, Stacy Stanford uh, from the Utah Health Policy Project. Our main focus this year um, will be defending the Proposition 3 Medicaid expansion initiative from uh, attempts to repeal that legislation. Uh, and I think... Uh... I think I'll jump in with a question here. Um, I guess I maybe naively thought proposition passes, done deal. Not so? <laughs> yeah, not quite that simple, unfortunately. So the legislature, um, you know, once a, a bill or a proposition is passed, it, it's law just like anything else. So even though the the voters approved it and it came from the voters, now it kind of lives at the legislature. And so they can amend it or repeal it or make any changes um, that they wish. The the question that we're pushing and that we're fighting against is whether or not they should do those things. And we believe that there's really strong arguments against making those kind of changes um, for a wide variety of reasons. Um, you know, people have been waiting for health care for six years now under this coverage gap. And, you know, it's time to move forward with the April 1st implementation deadline so people can start getting access to the care they need. And we also believe that Proposition 3 is uh, its just a better law also, um, where the, the Medicaid expansion that was passed in the ballot initiative is a full expansion, meaning that, you know, it aligns with the requirements under the law, whereas what is being proposed from the legislature is something that would require permission from the Trump administration. It would require a federal waiver. Um, and that's something that we've already done as a state. You know, we asked for almost this exact same thing that they're proposing this year. They asked for it last year, and that waiver sat for months and months and months and months and was not approved. And so the voters acted and said that, hey, we want the full expansion. We don't want this partial compromise that relies on the federal government. And now the legislature is trying to rewind um, and kind of undo that that plan that was passed by the Utah voters. Uh, remind us about that gap. As you mentioned, the uh, compromise, some, some parts, some coverage for part of the people in that gap. Uh, if if Prop Three goes into effect um, as as written, uh, how many people will be newly covered? Uh, tell us about that gap. Yeah, definitely. So there's about 150,000 people that would be eligible under Proposition 3. Um, and so these are people that, you know, literally do not have options for health insurance, where they're not allowed to go on to healthcare.gov and get a, a plan through the individual market because their income is too low. And they don't qualify for Medicaid because for Medicaid um, in Utah, it's not good enough just to be poor. You have to be poor and, you know, a parent of young children. You need to be poor and, you know, have certain documented disabilities. It, it's a very complicated system where you can have serious chronic health issues but not check just the right box on the right form and therefore you don't qualify for health care. So these are people, you know, kind of stuck in this gap. 
And some of the legislative discussions are, are talking about, you know, doing a partial expansion and so only covering up to, you know, maybe a lower income threshold than we had in Proposition 3. But Proposition 3 was written to expand up to 138% of the poverty line because that's what, what is required under the law. The legislature trying to um, change that and roll that back actually puts an indefinite waiting period on getting coverage for those people. So it, it might look like a simple change to go from 138 to 100% if you don't know about the waiver process. But when once you realize that it takes that stamp of approval from the Trump administration, which we haven't gotten before and is unlikely to ever come, then it becomes a real big difference between those two numbers. to you live from the state capitol on the opening day of the 2019 Utah legislature. Uh, let's hear uh, more from Stacey Stanford. Of course, uh, Medicaid expansion seems to be on a lot of people's minds. We asked all of our guests uh, so far on the program about that. Uh, but uh, I was curious, and I asked Stacey Stanford about a, a very related topic. What about the Affordable Care Act in general? I want to talk just briefly about the Affordable Care Act. Uh, lots of ups and downs there. Um, and of course, we know that uh, came uh, Republicans in the Senate came within one vote of uh, full repeal. Uh, Trump administration's been trying to chip away a bit at the Affordable Care Act. Where does where does the Affordable Care Act stand? And uh, specifically with Utah, people are uh, you know signing up at uh, similar numbers, higher numbers, lower numbers. Yeah. Um, so what we've seen is you know the. The Affordable Care Act, they looked at repealing it fully in 2017, and, you know, that famously failed by that one vote. And so since that failure to fully repeal the law, there have been a lot of um, attempts to sabotage and undermine the Affordable Care Act in administrative ways and things like that. And so there have been a lot of threats um, to the coverage. There have been a lot of changes that kind of undermine the program and threaten the, the stability of the risk pool and things like that. But what we've seen is that that's not really affecting the, the marketplace in Utah. Um, it's very clear that there's, you know, a number of Utahns that really need um, access through healthcare.gov, the individual marketplace, and therefore they're continuing to sign up regardless of the changes in um, the rules and administrative threats and undoing the individual mandate and things like that really just don't seem to be making a big difference in Utah because our numbers actually went up from last year. So, so we're seeing the individual market and the Affordable Care Act standing really strong in our state. Is there anything else that the legislature sort of top of mind that uh, Utah Health Policy Projects is uh, taking in a look at? Yeah, um, my one of my coworkers here on the policy team is also doing some work on uh, pricing transparency and and trying to look at healthcare value and healthcare costs and things like that as well. So things like uh, drug importation from Canada is a way to potentially lower drug prices. Um, looking at rules around. Um, regulating or, or restricting things like surprise billing when you go to the emergency room unconscious and suddenly you get a bill because the, the, the ambulance took you to an out-of-network hospital, um, addressing some of those um, more drastic things in our system, um, 
the surprise billing, the extreme uh, prescription costs and things like that, and trying to bring down overall costs, which, you know, has that ripple effect of making healthcare cheaper for all of us. So looking at increasing coverage for people, but also looking at trying to make that coverage cheaper across the board and access to healthcare and being able to use your healthcare at a, at a cheaper rate. You're listening to Access Utah, Tom Williams of the State Capitol, and uh, we have been asking various groups uh, their top priorities going into the 2019 legislative session. Up next, uh, Sterling Brown with uh, Utah Farm Bureau. Uh, what other issue is, is top of mind for the Utah Farm Bureau? We want to make sure that as the economy continues to grow in Utah and development, both residential and commercial, continues to grow and encroach upon our farm and ranch fields, that that is done in a way in which local government remains in control and the landowners, in this instance, the farmer, the rancher, sells the property in a willing buyer, willing seller scenario. We don't want to use unrighteous dominion here, so to speak, or use eminent domain in ways that would negatively impact private landowners. And so we want to, we're keeping a close eye on legislation that directly affects those kinds of situations or even indirectly. And this is, is this usually show up uh, with growth? Uh, cities uh, use eminent domain to, um, uh, to, to accommodate growth? Yes, it's, it's growth issues, but it's also a myriad of other things. For example, transportation. As we expand our transportation corridors or install new transportation corridors, of course, we want to ensure our, our public moves from place to place in a safe, orderly way. But we want to make sure that the landowners are fairly compensated and many of these modern transportation corridors also have adjoining recreational paths. And uh, should those paths be used for, or acquire the land, rather, for those recreational paths, should that be obtained through eminent domain if the landowner is uninterested or unwilling to sell? Those kinds of nuances or details with land acquisition are on our minds just to protect the interest of these private landowners. So what are you looking for, uh, some specific um, legislative statutory relief here? Well, we're looking to, we're, we're working with UDOT and other stakeholders to ensure that those guiding principles remain in place. And, and that may or may not require legislation. That those may be best addressed through the regulation or rulemaking process. I noticed on your list here of, uh, of concerns, Utah Farm Bureau, uh, right to farm laws. Uh, tell us about this. I, yeah. think, I think Utah has a right to farm law, but I uh, understand you want to strengthen it? Well, we're looking at some options there. Uh, farmers and ranchers over the generations, of course, raise animals and... Uh, practice safe and sound agricultural practices, but as urban encroachment comes closer to these smelly agricultural farms and ranches, not every 
resident is pleased with the operations that take place on these farms. And so we want to make sure that these farmers are adequately protected as they strive towards practices that are scientifically and historically proven to be safe and sound. We recognize that on occasion there's a bad actor out there that may cross the line in raising animals. We certainly don't support that. But the vast, vast majority of our Utah farmers and ranchers and across the country are good stewards of the land, great stewards of animals, and we just want to make sure that their rights are protected as we go forward in producing a a product for all consumers. You're listening to Access Utah. Tom Williams uh, coming to you live from the state capitol, as is our tradition here on the opening day of the Utah legislature. Uh, one last segment here. Let's go back to Bill Tibbetts with Crossroads Urban Center. Um, I asked him, uh, what about the government shutdown? Is that affecting them? Of course, the shutdown is uh, concluded, but who knows? Might be another one in three weeks. Here's Bill Tibbetts. I'm wondering, uh, for the services you provide, the people you're seeing there at the Crossroads Urban Center, is the uh, the federal government shutdown? Does that have any effect? Does that have any cascading Absolutely. effect? Absolutely. We okay. had uh, we we had a staff meeting the other day. One of our food pantry staff at one of our food pantries was saying that she's seen she last week she saw several TSA employees, which is not something that happens uh, at our food pantries normally. They um, so yes, there's definitely been an impact, and we're really really. Concerned about what happens if this drags on into next month, because um, at the end of February, people uh, will lose their food stamp benefits, lose their their WIC benefits. If they're getting a housing subsidy, they won't they won't get that, um, and so they, there'll be people facing eviction. Um, the government shutdown is something that just needs it needs to be resolved soon. Bill Tibbetts, Crossroads Urban Center, and uh, I think uh, that was the sentiment of most of us. <laughs> and uh, happily, the, uh, the shutdown is at an end, at least for another three weeks. On the opening day of the 2019 Utah Legislature, we have been coming to you live from the state capitol. Throughout this legislative session, we'll be with you on Access Utah, um, looking at the uh, top agenda items, the bills that are uh, being uh, uh, passed and being looked at at the legislature. We'll uh, take special look as we go along at the propositions, Prop 2 on medical marijuana, Prop 3 on Medicaid expansion, and Prop 4 on redistricting. Many other issues, all of that to be covered on Access Utah as we go forward. Our thanks to legislative leaders and to Governor Herbert for uh, being with us. A special thanks to our chief engineer, Friend Weller, uh, to uh, Shalane Smith-Needham, who's been with us uh, helping out as well, Emily Colby back at the uh, studios. And thanks for listening to Access Utah. Hung Van Gogh has an incredible story. Sent off by his mother on a refugee boat from Vietnam, which shipwrecked off the coast of Thailand, adopted into Calgary, and now is a groundbreaking makeup artist working shows like the Oscars and the Golden Globes, Hung Van Gogh tells you his story. That's coming up on Q from PRI Public Radio International. This afternoon at 1 o'clock on Utah Public Radio. When Addison Mae Saxon was in the seventh grade and choosing what to play, he didn't like cello or trumpet, and there were already too many saxophones in the band. So my teacher told me that I had long arms and just <laughs> threw a trombone in my lap. 
Addison Mae Saxon, the first ever brass-playing young artist in residence, on the next Performance Today from APM. Tonight at 9 on Utah Public Radio. You're listening to Utah Public Radio, a statewide service of Utah State University and the College of Humanities and Social Sciences. KUSR, Logan. KUSK, Vernal. KUSL, Richfield. KUST, Moab. KCEU, Price. KUSU, FM, Logan. Also heard at upr.org.